As 2021 draws to a close, DTN Progressive Farmer is looking ahead, not just to a new season, but to the future leaders of the U.S. ag industry. Meet America's best young farmers and ranchers, today on Field Posts. Fieldpost is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. DTN Progressive Farmer's 2022 class of best farmers and ranchers was announced in Chicago at the DTN Ag Summit in December, and attendees got to learn all about the young leaders who are moving American agriculture forward. This week, you'll get to meet them too. We're closing out the year with a celebration of the enthusiasm and thoughtfulness of these young families who are running revolutionary grain, beef, and dairy operations all across the country. You'll learn who they are, what they farm, and most importantly, why they've chosen to do this work, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. We're proud now to introduce the DTN Progressive Farmer 2022 Class of America's Best Young Farmers and Ranchers. As we met each of our America's best young farmers and ranchers, we were struck with their enthusiasm. Each one thoughtful, imaginative, and skilled. Examples of what is best in American agriculture. Adam Jones spends this day talking about soybeans, plans to improve the soil, about conservation, planting cover crops, and his plans to move his family out to the country, where No Jones has farmed here for nearly 20 years. Yeah, so the the original uh, Jones tracks there were uh, around the mid-1800s, been in the family for, for at least three generations. This farm, we've had most of this since I was a kid. I've always had an interest in farming. Um, You'll, anybody in our family you talk to, I was dad's little sidekick when I was a kid. Kind of with the development of some of the soil health practices and integrating cover crops made farming more attractive to me again. And then it was just the logistics of trying to put together um, how to come back and be able to, to kind of take over that acreage. Not just owning the property, to me that's not all of it. It's it's being the operator and, and really kind of having that firsthand experience and in, in putting a crop in, um, putting the right practices in place, um, managing things properly. And then also, you know, having control over um, conservation practices, soil health practices, those kind of things, uh, being able to raise a crop and also enact all those practices, especially on, on ground that's, that's in the family. 
It is Adam's day job as an MFA conservation agronomist that has inspired him to bring practices he recommends every day to his own farm. For MFA, I'm a uh, conservation specialist, so I sit on our agronomy team and advise on um, soil health practices, um, integration of pollinator habitat, nutrient management, uh, carbon programs, and I think um, some of that integration of, of conservation practices back into production ag, kind of where I'm from and, and the basis that I grew up with, is, is really honestly what probably pushed me to, to strive to uh, come back and be able to, to do it. And put there is some magic about the farm. Adam knew from a young age this is where he should be, bringing new life to old soils. Personally, kind of what brings me back to the farm is I'd say a passion for it from, from an extremely young age. Just, I enjoy doing it, but long term, definitely want to build organic matter. And so it'll be interesting to see these strips kind of over time through crop rotation and, um, and if we can actually build organic matter and, and change our yield and kind of resilience of that crop in this lighter soil over time. There is a long list of things to do. Adam plans to tackle each of them in time. Uh, so, you know, coming back to a, a farm that's been rented out, you know, not everything is exactly in order. If you just step back and look at the whole list of challenges, it's extremely long and extremely daunting, okay? And so, you know, I'm just not promising myself a lot that we're gonna get to where I wanna go um, immediately here, but I kind of realizing that I'm in it for the long haul um, and, and that we'll get them fixed. It's just a matter of, of trying to incrementally make those changes. Jones Farm is 650 acres. A sizable portion of it is dedicated to conservation and restoration. This field was always called the sand field, extremely sandy, uh, not very good yields. So it just made sense to put this in CRP and it's great pollinator habitat, great wildlife habitat. So it's doing its job for sure. This was logged, you know, I can remember it when I was a kid and, and high graded, they took some nice white oak and, and walnuts out of here. Expectation for this is just to uh, provide good wildlife habitat. You know, we've got goldenrod blooming in the middle of the woods down there. It's kind of retaining the uh, forest structure that really ought to be here. Uh, we would just consistently get June, July, mid crop growth floods that were would basically take out a crop for the year. And, so really economics of it um, kind of made a wetland reserve easement make sense in this scenario. Um, provides a tremendous amount of recreational value. I mean, we deer hunt this and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so it's just kind of one of those win, win, win things in, in my mind for, for what we've done with this piece of ground. As Adam and his wife, Heather, plan the return, they know this farm will be home and it is the right place to raise their family. Yeah, so currently, um, Currently I live in Columbia, Missouri, which is about a two hour drive from door to door from, from being here. That time at home is extremely important because the kids notice. They were making comments on the way up here this morning that, you know, it's like, hey, I basically haven't seen you all week. Um, I'm definitely making it work as far as farming uh, for now from, from that far away. Um, but uh, the eventual plan is to build here on the farm and try to raise our kids here, be able to give them the things that we as parents all want to give our kids, right? Even before sunrise, the day is already old at W&A Dairy. By mid-morning, it is the time for coffee. It was one coffee hour that changed Williams and Astrid's lives. 
for us. We want a long-term place to put our family uh, homestead uh, on a stake in the ground. And uh, one day at coffee at my parents' house, we uh, said, we're gonna look for another place. And they said, well, why don't you buy us out? You can buy our place. We'll go to your rent place. And uh, we swapped the whole dairy. And we went here and bought them out all the way. Dairy life is a hectic life, but Astrid understands the value of it for her family. Oh, I liked it. I always loved dairy. I loved it. Loved the lifestyle. It's a yo-yo, but um, I, I definitely love the dairy farm. It's we're right where we want to be right now. Everything is what we wanted. Now it's just smooth sailing. Hopefully, until the end. This is a dairy of 500 cows near Winsboro, Texas, built on the high productivity of Holstein cows. So we always milk between five and six hundred cows on WNA dairy. And then uh, even in the winter times, uh, my wife suggested, hey, let's milk the fresh cow group three times a day, which led to an increase of 12 pounds extra a cow, which really helped with milk sales. Uh, we usually do that eight months to 10 months out of the year. We've always milked Holsteins. We thought they were more of a stronger cow. They always produced more and we can get great components out of them as well. Uh, Holsteins actually originated where my parents are from, from North Friesland. Uh, so we always kept the same cow and they've always been uh, good to us. William and Astrid manage their dairy by two words, efficiency and simplicity. And so at this dairy, what makes it special and unique out of most dairies is um, we run a, over 500 cows and we only have two employees and myself, mainly doing all the work. And most people have 100 cows per worker, but we do 250 cows per worker. So we can make that work as my motto was always uh, efficiency and simplicity. And simplicity here means milk, only milk. The main point of the simplicity is also we only milk here. We don't raise our replacements, we don't try to do our own field work and all that. We just milk, milk, milk. That's, that's the very basic point of simplicity here. We prefer not going to the next leap of depth load, so the simpler we keep it, the less depth we have in, uh, invest in our place. By not going to the next level of equipment, uh, labor, and cow numbers, uh, we are able to still do it ourselves, and, and my, as myself, so. The loafing shed is a prize investment. It pays off in healthy animals and high milk production. Confinement, the cows have their op uh, option of going outside and inside. At nighttime, they're all outside, they're stargazing, and uh, as soon as it gets hot, they all walk inside, so. It's nice for an animal to have the natural environment of the weather as well. Keeps the barn a lot drier because they, they they're not confined to the smaller area. They can go out in the evening times when it cools down and in the winter times they're nice and dry up in there. It gave us an increase of 12 pounds of cow and we have uh, water temperatures of 57 degrees hitting them the whole day. So. Cows are important, but the Osinga kids are always the priority. High morals and work ethic form the foundation on which they are growing up. I think the nicest thing is, uh, as a dairy farm, uh, besides work, I, I get to see my kids every day. To have this kind of lifestyle where we could be at home and raise them, let them know the values in life. They have great work ethics. They try to help as much as they can with us at a young age already. They're always going to be our first priority. Yes. The goal is simple. Produce excellent milk.
we just continuously to stay optimistic for this uh, volatile dairy market. To see you know, the challenge of corporate and commercial farms uh, on top of our family farms. Keeping a basic routine and cleanliness. We love to keep everything clean. We want clean milk and ship a really good product. That's most important for us. When people drink our milk, we want them to say, man, that's the best milk we ever tasted. These hills are some of the most mesmerizing, beautiful hills you can see. The waving grass, I'll never get tired of watching it. The sun rising and sun setting, and as the clouds come rolling in, the storms, the passing, passing thunderstorms that we get, sometimes they can be very intense. Shelly Kelly works in and lives for the sand hills of Nebraska. She's setting down new roots there. With her young son Connolly by her side, a full-time job and a few dozen head of cattle, Shelley has set out to build a ranch. I'm a, I'm a fourth generation rancher, or you could look at it that I'm a first generation rancher. Um, I, I grew up on a ranch, um, my folks grew up on ranches, uh, but the operation was not big enough for me to go back to. And so I have uh, come out on my own and started my own little herd and I get a lot of support from my folks. And so my family and my brother, uh, they do support me a lot. The goal is straightforward. Buy low, sell high. Yeah, my operation is largely cow-calf right now. and We do a little turnover to try to take undervalued cattle and turn them into higher valued cattle. Uh, but we, we largely rent ground, we own a little and um, we, we have anywhere from 40 to 60 head. We're, we're at 61 head right now of mama cows and we've got about 60 babies running around that we'll be weaning this fall and this winter. It's all about the grass, keeping the cows from biting off more than they should chew. Uh, rotating the pastures allows the grass plant and the forage resources a chance to recover during the growing season. If you have cattle in a pasture year-round or throughout the whole growing season, they keep biting off the same plant over and over so that the grass is rotation. I'm able to give the plants a break so that they can grow deeper roots, so that they can increase the vigor of those plants, and so that they can produce more in the future. The next best thing to full-time ranching is working with other ranchers, Shelley says. In high school, it was very obvious to me that I enjoyed ranching. I, was, um, I grew up farming and ranching, but the cows and paying attention to, to the landscape really, really intrigued me. So I went to college to learn more about conservation and rangeland management. The next best thing to ranching full-time is being able to help ranchers be successful in their ranching operations. Kelly is executive director of the Sand Hills Task Force an organization built by cattle ranchers for cattle ranchers to find the best ways to protect and manage their Sandhills lands. Some of the biggest things that come out of the Sandhills Task Force is being a, a cohesive voice for many, many landowners. There's a lot of government rules and regulations that need a voice from landowners and we're able to get in some of those rooms and try to speak on behalf of landowners. Here in the Sandhills, native grasses and cattle production sustain each other. 
The Nebraska Sandhills is a really special place. It's a uh, 20,000 square mile set of sand dunes. So if you zoom out, it looks like ripples on a beach and it was covered by, by native grasses and forbs. And these grasses are very deep rooted grasses that hold the sand in place. If we weren't managing it with cattle, uh, it would not be near as healthy as it is today. Full-time job, building a cattle herd, single mom. Conley and Shelley are a team, learning together. Yeah. Raising Conley uh, out here has been one of the greatest joys. Uh, watching them be able to run and play and learn and explore is so important. Uh, he gets to see uh, nature at its best. He gets to see nature at its worst. It's, I think it's very healthy for him to be able to be active and outside and seeing me work. Uh, I think that him helping me uh, instills a work ethic in him that I do think is really important for him to be successful in the future. Home, the cows, the ranch. This is the place Peace built. This is home. This is where, where I feel, feel peace. And uh, being able to have my own cows and being able to ranch is just the, the best, a, a great achievement in my life. And I, I really look forward to getting to expand and uh, get to do more of it in the future. Outside Dayton, Iowa, is the farm of A.J. and Kelly Blair. It is a diverse farm with a diverse future. We're the fourth generation of Blairs on this farm. It's A.J.'s family. We're a pretty diversified crop and livestock farm. We have uh, corn, soybeans. Um, we also have oats and alfalfa hay, and we have pigs, and we have cattle. The most recent addition? small grains. More recently we've gotten into small grains so we have a couple hundred acres of small grains every year and adding hay um, partly to diversify things but uh, partly you know the Iowa nutrient reduction strategy is a a, a big point right now in the state um, diversifying your crop rotation a few acres out of corn and soybeans helps helps tremendously on on water quality and soil health so Conservation is key to the Blair farming operation. It's the reason for their diversity. Um, AJ and I both grew up with parents that were pretty well um, conservation-minded farmers. We grew up with it. I went to Iowa State in forestry and agronomy, really focusing on that conservation option. Um, and thankfully, now we farm, and that's one of our, our main goals is conservation and continual improvement on the farm. We're trying to move all of our corn into no-till. We do cover crops, um, we do oats and alfalfa hay, and um, the cattle and diversifying really really have helped drive that. It's, it's pretty easy to do a lot of different things when you can bring it back to the cattle and either feed it or bed it. It works out well for us. So. Kelly and AJ have dedicated a portion of their land for a unique 
Clean Water Project. We're actually building a pond. It's called a drainage recycling project. So we're basically building a pond which our tile will drain into. It'll fill up the pond and we'll recycle that water onto the field using a pivot irrigation. One day, oat milk producer Oatley came knocking on the door. Would the Blairs consider growing oats? They wanted, as a company, to buy U.S. oats when they're, make, they're selling their product in the U.S. Practical Farmers of Iowa was kind of their go-to, and then Practical Farmers came to us and said, would you like to do a three-year pilot project with us? So we've been growing oats for, this is our third year now for them. A.J. and Kelly found a COVID-created market for direct-to-consumer frozen beef for consumers who suddenly found meat missing from their stores. It was calving time and we had a cow that had lost a calf and I thought, well, we'll take her to the auction. And that week, we literally had no auction. You know, everything was shut down. So we had nowhere to go with the cow. So um, just made an appointment at the local locker and then realized maybe we should be doing this more. It's been fun to meet consumers that to eat our product. The first couple people called back right away and said, boy, this is the best we've ever had. Kelly and AJ know they don't farm alone. They are grateful for their time with kindred spirits, all of them working to make American agriculture better. We've had an opportunity to work with some, some pretty neat organizations, I guess, in the state. Um, Iowa Soybeans Association would be one that comes to mind. Um, they're, they've been really progressive, and we got involved with them early on as young farmers, so that just kind of helped drive our direction. We've always pretty well been involved, you know, at the local, the state, and the, even the national level. We'd like to have a seat at that at that table when, when decisions are being made and that type of thing. I think a lot of the things that we've done have come from networking with other really good farmers and really good organizations. Colorado's western high country was created for cattle, but its bounty is elusive, one or not, in short grazing seasons and with water carefully channeled from snowy mountains to the herds below. We have uh, about 500 head of cows that we've put together over the past uh, five years, uh, ranging from two to probably eight or nine years old. This last year was the first year we kept our own replacement heifers and it was great. We weaned them up here and then we sent them to Torrington, Wyoming where my sister and her husband really looked over the caretaking of them throughout the winter and, and I'm really excited to see how they do as mothers. That's going to be a real good test just to see if we're on the right track for just not only picking carcass traits but good maternal traits. Buying better bulls, you know, putting, it on, putting better bulls on the cows we have, try to increase the quality of our calves. I think probably our biggest success, and I, I hope that buyers do. We, we have repeat buyers um, out of Wyoming, and we've had Kansas the past couple of years. And, you know, I think building a reputation with good cattle has been a huge success. Sarah Jane and family saw an opportunity in the darker days of COVID to meet the needs of consumers who could not find beef. I really kind of spearheaded our meat business and finishing out cattle with grain and grass and providing it locally uh, so consumers in our valley can buy direct. 
Um, we're in some local grocery stores, a couple restaurants in Steamboat and Vale. So I'm really excited to see where that go. goes in the next five to 10 years. So there was the day in church when a more senior lady friend approached then unmarried Sarah Jane. Pray for your husband, she said, and Two years before we ever really met, there was a, a little lady in our, in our town, Deanna Berry, that came up to me and said, you need to start praying about your future husband, Travis Snowden. And I kind of chuckled and I was like, okay, interesting. So sure enough, when I asked my dad about it, and he's like, oh my gosh, he's a catch, those Snowden boys. I knew his parents and oh yeah, he would be a great one. Two years later, they put us together. And uh, it was, I'm glad they did. They knew what they were doing. It was a set up deal. I'm sure glad they knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. From the moment you arrive at Snowden Cattle Company, it's easy to see that family, the aunts and uncles, parents and grandparents, and the cousins, make this venture possible. Our Uncle Mark has just been huge in helping us. We are pretty tied up at times mm -hmm. at our other job, and he is here, his boys are here, they, they're helpful, you know, whenever we get in a bind. And they make it really fun. They are so good to my kids and they're so good to us. And it's a true release because it's so fun for the whole family. High Country Kids, there's always something for them to learn. It is really great. There's always something we can do with the kids out here from checking cows, taking out salt and mineral, oh, fixing fence. Those two can, they pretend that they can really drive a staple, but they can't. <laughs> the final goal? carry on toward their dream. It's pretty sentimental for me um, just to just to carry on the, the legacy to know that my grandfather had ridden this valley before I did um, that my kids could, could maybe someday get to run cattle out here as well. I think our long-term dream is very similar we are mm -hmm. so ready for for our lives to be a hundred percent agriculture you know chasing after our dreams and you know I I feel like we're not there yet, and we keep going, when is the time? And I think God will show us. We hope you enjoyed meeting our 12th class of America's best young farmers and ranchers. Successful, productive, entrepreneurial, optimistic, and hopeful. DTN Progressive Farmer is eager to meet the next class of America's best young farmers and ranchers. Want to be part of it? Go to www.dtn.com slash next gen. To learn more about the DTN Progressive Farmer Best Young Farmers and Ranchers program or to get to know the class of 2022 a bit better, visit dtnpf.com or subscribe to the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Dan Miller and Robert Lagerstrom. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? 
By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.